Well, I purposefully wanted to get to this portion of the service as quickly as we could today because I want our guest speaker to have as much time uh, as she can use today to minister a word from the Lord to us. <clears throat> I first met Cheryl Steele Tinsley a few months ago when she was navigating her way through our first phase of the credentialing process with the Church of God. And uh, I was there, and she was there as a, as a student, and uh, did an excellent job and has come through, and now she's just barreling on down the parkway uh, to be able to become a credentialed minister in the Church of God. And at the end of our sessions, we always do what we call an exit interview, where we sit down uh, with the candidates and kind of talk about their future and whether or not they really feel like that they have a call on their life. And I've told you there have been some of those candidates that I looked at them and after hearing them speak, I said to them, I think this probably is as far as you need to go. I don't think you need to pursue a license until your heart changes or until you are convinced that you are indeed called of God to do this. But when Cheryl came through, I mean, it didn't take but just a question or two to realize that this girl is on fire for Jesus Christ and that she has what I would call a non-traditional ministry in that she may never pastor a church. I don't know. God may call that her to that one of these days. But she is in a, a field where evangelism is really the primarily concern, leading people to Jesus Christ. I don't want to get into her story this morning because I want her to be able to tell you what God has done. But as soon as I talked to you that day, I encouraged you. I said, look, you need to keep going here, and you need to get in as many churches and venues as you possibly can because God has raised you up for such a time as this. I believe that. And I was looking for a time that we could bring her and let her speak into our lives. And it just made good sense to me with her background with young people and working with young people that today would be a wonderful day to do that. I've invited the teens to stay in with us this morning because I want you to hear what she has to say about what God has done in her life but what God can do in your life as well. She's written a book entitled Wave by Wave. She will have some copies of that book in the foyer when church is over. And you can stop by there and pick up one of those books and say hello to her. She'll be back there to greet you. And uh, I know that she will be happy to get one of those books in your hands uh, so that you can read it and then be inspired by the message that is in it. So as always... We like to bless those who come to speak to us. So I'd like for the ushers to come at this time. We're going to do one more thing before she comes. I'm going to give you an opportunity to bless her with a gift this morning. Now, if you're uh, anything that goes into the baskets this morning will be designated for her ministry. If you write a check, just make it out to Spirit Life Church. And on the memo, just write special guest and we'll make sure that she gets everything uh, that you give today so as sure as you can go ahead and begin to serve the congregation I don't play the piano 
And I learned years ago that you don't have to have piano music in the background to give a good offering. You know that's true, right? So we want you to bless her today with your gifts. I know that I know that the offerings will get even bigger as they get towards the end of the sanctuary because you've got time to dig deeper into your purses and pockets. So we want you to do that today. <clears throat> so again, it's such a joy to have Miss Cheryl Steele Tinsley with us today. I've given her the opportunity to speak freely today. And if she feels led of the Lord to speak a word uh, and to bring us to the altar at the conclusion of this service, then we're going to do that. But I want us to prepare our hearts today for what God wants to speak into our lives. So as always, we like to give a good Louisville welcome to our special guest. Would you greet her with a big applause as Miss Cheryl comes today? Wow, thank you. Good morning. How's everybody this morning? Um, I just want to say praise team rocks, man. They are good, all right? <laughs> um, uh, Brother Justin, and I think it's Miss Priscilla. Girl, you got a voice, all right? You, you are blessed. You're, the Lord's blessed you with a gift. So um, I want to introduce myself. My name is Cheryl Steele Tinsley. Um, I like to walk around. I think I'm half Italian, but I'm not. So if this if you can't hear it, okay? All right? Um, but I have a soft spot. How many of you are teachers, administrators, volunteers in the school? Bless you. Um, I am taught 31 years. Um, I teach high school. I love my kids. love my students at Corbin. And um, also, I'll retire this fall because God's opening doors. But bless you. I'll be, prote I'll be playing protection over you. And I do believe that God is in the midst of our high schools, our schools, our elementary all the way down, because you can be a light there, okay? And let me introduce you to a good friend of mine. This is Lynn Stivers. You know how sometimes you have a sister from another mister, one of those, all right? <laughs> uh, Lynn is, uh, is a sister in the Lord, and uh, we've known each other for 30 years. My husband couldn't be here today, so uh, she came with me, and uh, sometimes you just have those friends that, that you're just blessed with, and if you're blessed with one of those, you know what I'm talking about, okay? All right, so let me just kind of tell you just a little bit uh, about my background. Um, I was raised right on the border of Detroit and Melvindale, so I'm from Detroit, Michigan. My parents were from Barberville, my mom was. My dad was from Corbin, and like a lot of young people, in the 50s they fell in love and they couldn't find any jobs here. And so they moved to Michigan, and I'm a General Motors baby. Okay, does anybody have anybody that works in the car industries up there? All right, you don't? Okay, well, I was raised and I have, I, I know two things. I was raised with five other siblings, I know how to run, and I know how to fight, and I know how to share. How many of you know that? <laughs> yeah. And I just, ever since I've been little, I have just loved the outdoors. And um, so God gave me some chances here, and I'll tell you a little bit about it, and it's also in the book, and I kind of want to explain that background, okay? So I went to school at a place called Cornerstone University in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Um, it is a Christian school, and I graduated and I just thought, you know what, Lord, I, I'm kind of feeling like, you know, this field of teaching. I actually went into nursing a little bit, but went back to teaching. And so if you could take the next slide here. Um, I'm going to show you uh, right here, if you can kind of see it right there. I'm from Michigan, 
okay? How many of you ever been to Michigan? Love Michigan. We just got back from Mackinac Island. If you ever get a chance, that's, that's it, girl. It's a bomb, ain't it? Okay, it's good. And so what I was going to say is I'm from right there, and if you know if you're from a Michigander, they're like, Right here, okay. So I'm from right down, a little bit down in the crease there. I'm only about an hour from Toledo, and I was raised there. So Grand Rapids is on the other side of the mitt. So if you kind of look over by Lake Michigan, that's where I went to school at, okay. So I'm going to start that with that, and I just want to tell you that how many of you have ever put a foot in the Great Lakes? Have you actually gone in there? How many of you swam in the Great Lakes? How long did you stay? Uh, no, right? Because <laughs> it's cold, okay? Um, so we're known as obviously the Great Lakes, and I want to talk about a lake called Lake Huron because there's some things that happened in my life when I was just barely 20, and if you look up at Lake Huron up there, it's over to the right, kind of above the thumb, and if you look at it, it says that Lake Huron is the fifth largest freshwater lake in the world, okay? And so um, when you go into the Great Lakes, when I talk to the kids uh, in Kentucky, they don't understand. And I want to first of all say to you, I love the water. We have a boat at Grove Marina. Um, I have two boys, and we love we jet ski. We sold the jet skis. Um, Lynn and I kayak. In fact, we're starting a ladies' kayak club where we can just go out and minister on the water and then maybe have uh, something to eat afterwards. So that's kind of my background. I've always loved the outdoors. I got a chance to work for the National Park Service seasonally. I was a National Park Ranger for 10 summers, and I met my husband in the Great Smoky Mountains National Park. And so, I, how many of you ever been to Gatlinburg and Pigeon Forge? Now tell me, y'all went into the park. Did you go or did you shop, shop, and shop? How many been in the park? All right, you my people, all right, okay? All right, because I just love the Great Smokies. So I'm gonna set this back for you, okay? Remember, I'm from Detroit, okay? We don't have a lot of extra, you know, you're in the city. You're in the suburbs right there, okay? And so when I got to camp, I was on my second year of, um, I should say my second year, finished my sophomore year, and a guy named Eldon Brock came to our school. We had, like, um, about three days where we'd bring in youth directors and just have a really good conference. And he came down, and he was talking, and I looked, and I thought, Wow, that looks really good. It says Assistant Wilderness Director. I was like, wow. And it was up by Traverse City, Michigan. Everybody, anybody ever been to Traverse City? Gorgeous, okay? And so I was talking to him, and his name was Eldon Brock. And I said, I'd like to apply for that job. Now, you got to understand, I have a wicked sense of humor. It's got me through life, so understand where I'm coming from, all right? All right, so he's talking to me, and he goes, well, um, young lady, have you ever had any experience in camping? Well, when you're with six kids, there's not a lot of extra money with a mom and dad. And so I thought, well, I can't lie to this fella. And I said, well, sir, my, we have an extra lot. So if you consider way on the back of our property with a tent and a fire, I'm your girl. And he looks at me, he's like, hmm. Then the next thing he asked was this. Have you ever been rafting? How many of you have ever been rafting? Have you ever done stuff like that? It's really fun. And I didn't want to lie to him, and I thought, no, sir, I never have, but I said, you know what? We've got a huge claw bathtub, and I said, if it counts with me putting popsicle sticks together and putting it down a river like Huck Finn, I said, I'm your lady, okay? Well, he didn't laugh, and I thought, oh, man, just walk away, Cheryl, walk away, all right? And then I looked at him, and I said, Mr. Brock, I promise you one thing. 
I said, I love the Lord. And I said, if you'll give me a chance, I said, this girl in front of you learns very fast. And I said, I want to serve him. And I thought, I walked away and I thought, Lord, you blew that, Cheryl. And lo and behold, two weeks later, he called me and says, how'd you like to work at Lake Ann Camp? So what I'm going to tell you the story today, when you go, you can go ahead and look it up. It's called Lake Ann Camp, A-N-N Camp. It's up out of Traverse City, Michigan, about 11 miles south. And you will see it's a beautiful place. When I worked there um, as a young lady in the 80s, it wasn't, like, we've got 300 acres now. Um, it wasn't as much, but at that time, it was about 100 acres, and it was just gorgeous, okay? So I worked the first summer, and I worked with a guy named Dwight Hirschberger and a man named Jeff Tindall. Dwight and Jeff become great friends to me. They were like brothers, to be quite honest with you, and we had a great time. So imagine this. You bring your youth group up to Lake Ann. So we're, any youth leaders in here right now? Okay, you bring your youth group up to Lake Ann, and you say, hey, I want to do a bike trip. So we take you up around the North Point there, and you go about 150 miles that week, and we supply everything. So it's not right on the camp. Well, we didn't have phones back then, okay? So today we'd have to take them away from them. But when you get kids and adults out in nature, I promise you God does something to them, and you can get their hearts. And so we did whitewater rafting. It wasn't very swift, but we did that. We did week-long trips, and we did a trip to a place called Drummond Island. So if you'll put the next slide, I'll show you this here. All right, so if you go up, how many of you have ever gone all the way to the top of uh, Michigan, the lower part, and you've gone across Mackinac Bridge? Anybody? It's a huge five-mile bridge. And then this place called Drummond Island, you'll go down to the right about an hour and a half, not that much, and you'll go across a bridge, and that's Drummond Island. So if you want to look this up later on, you can. So we had that first summer trips up to Drummond, and we took canoes, and we, they had these little lakes, and we'd portage around, and we never could get to all the other side because we didn't have time to explore it, but we took a group up there, and I'm not a belay or a repeller, um, but they used to do things like that. But that first summer, folks, I remember leading campers to God, and I'm telling you what, I felt like I was off the ground because what a privilege to lead young people to the Lord. And it changed their lives. And so I went to school the next year, was in education. And um, here's what happened. Eldon called me and said, Cheryl, you want to work the next summer? And I said, yes, I'd love to work the next summer. Well, Dwight came back, but Jeff couldn't. And there was another fellow named Mark Tobby. Now, take a look at this right there, folks. You can see it behind me here. Drummond is this island that's gorgeous. Has anybody ever been to Drummond? It is um, very kind of wilderness. It's more today after so many years. Um, but it's, it was very wilderness. It's beautiful. And if you look at Drummond, there's a little island over to the right, and that's Cockburn Island. Now, if you're looking, you see North Channel, and what you're going to see by Cockburn Island underneath it, what do you see there? Ontario. So you have just gone through the North Channel and crossed international waters into Cockburn Island that's from Ontario. It's in Ontario, Canada. So I want you to kind of look at that and the body of water. And so I'm going to take you back to that summer in the 80s, and I'm going to tell you what happened, okay? So go to the next slide there, if you don't mind. All right, so here we are, and so let me kind of explain it. We had a group. Um, we went for about five weeks, and we had, oh, my goodness, I think it was well over 60 young people that were saved, okay? And we did bike trips. We did just what we did the year before. 
we did uh, we did uh, uh, whitewater rafting trips, and then we were going into the week of Fourth of July. Now, in the week of Fourth of July, usually people seems like the kids don't come as much that week, but the week after they do. Okay, so it was a down week. So we had a huge uh, group from Lapeer, Michigan, that was coming up, and they were about 42 of them, which was pretty big at that time. And unfortunately, the pastor's uh, brother was killed in a tragic motorcycle accident. In fact, it was terrible. He was decapitated. So the pastor called us and said, listen, we can't bring that. You know, I've got to bury my baby brother. So we, they had to cancel. Well, that week, Dwight Hirschberger, who I'm going to introduce you to, was our wilderness director. And Dwight asked Eldon if we could go up to, remember I showed you Drummond Island? If we could go up to Drummond Island and if we could take and try to find that inlet lake that would connect them. Have you ever heard of something called portaging? How many of you have ever been in a canoe? Remember them old aluminum canoes? Okay. Um, you can pick them up and kind of walk, not even a half a football field, and then go to another lake. So if you look up Drummond Island, that's kind of how it is, okay? And so I want to introduce you to Drummond Island. Gorgeous, you all. So Dwight went up. We went Dwight and Mark and myself, and I'm going to introduce you to another lady, and her name was Sally Coon. And Sally went with me, because it looks really bad if you have two boys and one girl, obviously, okay? And so we went up, and Eldon said, yeah, go ahead and take that week. Go up to Cockburn Island. Go ahead and expand the trip, and then be back. So we went left Monday at noon, right after all the campers came for the rest of the camp. We helped with the lunch. And then we took off toward Drummond Island. It was gorgeous. We had an old van. I can remember it just like yesterday. And we got up there, and uh, young people and everybody else, I want to tell you, we did not have phones, okay? So we checked the weather that week, you know, for the whole week. We checked with the National Weather Service. No storms, no nothing was supposed to be in that area. So we checked. We went to the backcountry office, made sure, you know, we had the appropriate things, and we took the trip. So we were canoeing those inlet lakes. Listen, guys, it was beautiful, absolutely beautiful that week. We got to Thursday morning, and we got to that place that I'm telling you about that we could not go to that next lake. So when you look at this online, you'll see something called Marblehead. So we went from Marblehead now, and we're going to, how many of you have ever been out like an inlet bay? Have you been in anything like that where you've kind of come across or swim? Um, how many of you have ever been to Myrtle Beach? Maybe that's the best thing I can tell you, or any beach. Okay. Have you ever been to the beach where you're there and the tide comes in, and then you might be up to your... Uh, maybe your legs right here, and then when that pulls back on you, all of a sudden it's up into the middle of your thigh. That's how the Great Lakes are, okay? And so we ended up that day going and taking our canoes, and what we did is we went and we were going to travel from Marblehead along the bay. In other words, we were hugging, or hugging um, Drummond Island, and we are going to travel along the bay and then get back to the next campsite and then it would only be a couple miles to the van and go back on Friday evening for the big chapel and then the bonfire, okay? So this was not what it looked like that morning, okay? Um, the other day, it was beautiful. We were here yesterday in Louisville. Gorgeous day, right? Hot. That's how it was. Um, we, we went to the Outlaw Mall. I've never been to that. That's very nice. <laughs> Girls were shopping, all right? But anyways, here's what we did. So follow me for a minute. I had to take you the last eight minutes to tell you now where we're at, okay? And so we got on the lake of Lake Huron, and we hugged the bay. 
Now, we went for a good hour, and I had, we had, uh, it was Mark and I in one canoe, and Sally and Dwight in another canoe. So we're right next to you, just like you all are right here on the front, okay? Not a cloud in the sky. You remember that? All of a sudden, I see this black cloud down north of us, and I said to Mark, he was back there behind me, I said, Mark, look at that cloud. He goes, oh, Cheryl, it's way far away. We'll make it to the point before. I said, okay. So we're paddling. We've got those aluminum canoes. And folks, that cloud come flying into that north channel, and boom, just like that, wind, waves. And I'm talking three to five-foot waves were on us, okay? Now, if you know anything about the waves, they capsize. How many of you ever been to Myrtle Beach when those waves capsize? Okay, they pull you back, okay? So what we did is we tried to turn those canoes around and to get our butts back to Drummond Island, okay? So we're paddling, and we had a bucket, and those waves kept splashing over that canoe. So Sally and I were up front, and I can remember whipping that, taking that bucket, throwing that water out, and just trying our hardest as Mark and Dwight were just paddling as fast as they could toward Drummond Island. Now remember, this storm came in that channel within, I'm not kidding you all, three to five minutes. So take a look at that. That's an actual storm on Lake Huron. Now understand, Lake Huron has over 500,000 square miles. Okay? The story I'm going to tell you is one of a miracle. If you don't believe in miracles, will you talk to me afterwards? Because I'm a miracle to be standing in front of you. And let me say this. It is not by accident that you are sitting here today. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know the storms in your life. But I'm going to tell you, God is a God of impossibilities. And don't you ever forget that. God is a God of impossibilities. He very much is. So I'm right there. We're going. We're paddling. We're trying our best. That storm surges. And folks, before we know it, we're starting to sink. Now, if you know anything about an aluminum canoe, you see how your step is here? The aluminum canoe will not sink. But when it fills up with water, it will go down about to where your first step is, okay? So you're going to go down with the canoe, but the canoe is not going to sink. So here's what happened. We kept doing that bucket, and it was to no avail. That water was coming in, and I can remember to this day, we started to sink, the waves splashing on over that. And as we were going down, I want to tell you, none of us, none of us were fearful. Now, we, were, we knew that this was a bad storm, but we knew the Lord. So we didn't scream, we didn't cry, and as we were putting on those orange life jackets, how many of you know those old orange life jackets? I hate them, because the story, I'm going to tell you, I'll never wear one again. Um, but the orange, orange life jackets, I can remember going down in that storm, and Dwight said, Lord, and he said it loud, he said, Lord, help us, we are in a terrible storm here, Lord, help us. And I remember I didn't close my eyes, man. I cinched that puppy up, and as we were going down, four young people, this is all you heard. <gasps> it was so cold in Lake Huron on July the 3rd. Later on, I learned it was 51 degrees. All right, any lifeguards in here? All right, I'm going to tell you a little bit about hypothermia. How many of you have ever been outside and you started doing this <gasps> and you started shaking? You ever been on that? Maybe snow? Okay, you're in the first stage of hypothermia, okay? Your body is shaking to produce heat. When you stop shaking and you now 
start to feel warm, you're in the second stage of hypothermia. God made us so that all of the blood from our, our external uh, limbs pull into our torso and it protects the heart and lungs and vital organs. If you don't get out of the water, you're in a dangerous stage. If you all of a sudden now feel it's totally warm, you're no longer shaking, then you've stepped into the third stage of hypothermia. The third stage of hypothermia is, I don't know your name, sir, what's your name? Paul? If I'm looking at you, Paul, and I'm not going to come real close to you on that, I don't know what color your eyes are, but if Paul and I are looking at each other, and his family's right next to him, and I say, Paul, are you doing all right? Every, are you still with me? And he turns and he says, man, isn't that beautiful sand over there, Cheryl? Look at that sand. Now your brain is hallucinating. Your body's shutting down, and he is somewhere in his mind where he's not in reality at. That's the third stage of hypothermia. If Paul doesn't get out, then he runs into the fourth stage. Hypothermia is called the silent killer. And so I would look at Paul, and I don't know what color your eyes are, but the pupils would be so dilated when you looked at him that there would no longer be blue or green eyes. You're in the fourth stage, and if you don't get immediate emergency help, you are going to die. And it's called the silent killer because they go to sleep. So let me take you back to the storm. Here's what happened. The canoes just, I can remember this like it was yesterday. The canoes were just going down. That storm surged up, and we were trying to take the canoe. Now go to the next one. We were trying to take the canoe. This is in a, a pool, and we were going to jam one of the canoes up. You can see that he is capsized right there. We were going to jam one of the canoes up along the other one, flip it. All of us get in that canoe and paddle back. But what I want to tell you is that storm surged so much, I know we had six-foot waves. It took that canoe, and I can remember this just like it was yesterday, it took that 11-foot canoe and threw it through Lake Huron just like I flipped the toothpick out to this area. Just took that whole canoe, flipped it into Lake Huron, and it was gone. Our backpacks were gone. We broke an oar. Two of the other oars were gone. And all of a sudden, all we could do is grab onto that one that you can see the diver right there, one on one side. So let me explain. I'm in the back right, okay? Up in the front is Dwight, okay? So we're holding on just like this. And then over here is Sally, and over here is Mark. So we take and we jam that into our side, and we try to start pedaling back. We had another oar, it broke, we threw it away, and we started pedaling back to Lake Huron, okay? So as we pedal back, or I should call it dog paddling, as we started pedaling back to the, we're, we're just trying to get it back toward Cockburn, that storm is still surging. And every time, how many of you sw are pretty decent swimmers? Okay, if you've ever had the storm come up over you, you know you have to scissor kick up because it will slam you. Well, I want you to listen to this. We could not stop moving. If you stop moving, you go into what? Second stage of hypothermia, because we're freezing, okay? And so every time those waves would come and slap that canoe, if you didn't scissor kick up, you got hit upside the canoe. Your head would go into that. Now, here we are, and now we capsize around 2 o'clock that evening, okay? 2 o'clock. And so this storm that I'm telling you about stayed in that channel for about nine and a half hours, 
UK. What's the average life expectancy in water of 50 degrees? 50, I've made you cold over here, haven't I, man? <laughs> made you cold. Well, I'll go have coffee after this. All right. What's the life expectancy, do you think, for 51, 52 degrees water? Anybody want to guess? Pretty good guess. The average life expectancy is three to five hours. Three, pretty good. Five, you've outdone. In the medical records, you shouldn't be there. Okay? And so we started paddling back toward Cockburn. So if you'll go to the next one, I'll show you this. Okay, you ready? The sun set that night a little after nine. Guess who was still in the water? All of us. The storm now surges, and then it kind of goes back to one or two foot of, of waves. It surges again, and so you had to constantly be moving. Now, if you've done the math, we've outlived all of us the three to five hours, okay? And so when you look at this lighthouse, let me explain what happened. I'm in the canoe, and Dwight and I knew that we were in a bad situation. I'm going to go over here. And he turned to me and he said, as the sun went down, we could see this lighthouse flashing at that island called Cockburn Island. And as he turned to me, he said, Cheryl, when we get to that island, go north. And there's a, there's a lighthouse, I mean, there's a, a road there and there's a ranger station. Go north when we get to the island. I said, I will. And all night, all we saw was that. Now, let me say something to you. Remember that storm I was telling you about? How many of you ever been outside? I, I used to love um, Scooby-Doo. Have you ever seen that when they used to take that knife and they cut the fog? Well, that was how it was that night on July the 3rd. How many of you ever been out and pulled an all-nighter outside? Anybody? Okay, and maybe you've seen a lot of stars. Folks, that night, all we could see was barely the North Star. It, that literally, the clouds hovered on us. Now, if you're doing the math now, it's close to 10 o'clock. I honestly cannot tell you the time because our watches stopped and we did not know, you know, we didn't have an iPhone. So in the next few hours, here's what happened. We started drifting toward Cockburn Island. And by the way, I need to tell you, we tried to go back toward Drummond for about probably an hour, an hour and a half, and we'd go six feet and that storm and the tide would throw us back eight feet. So we just stopped, okay? We saw barges way over, um, but they didn't hear us. You know, this was a huge lake, and then when the sun died down, we didn't see anything, okay? And so now we are probably around 12 o'clock. Remember I was telling you Sally was up front? Now this storm, you know, it surges. And you got to remember now, we've been in there, if you're counting this, close to nine and a half, ten hours, okay? And so... When you look at this, like imagine in your mind right now, four young people, nobody knows that we're out here. You're hoping a late night fisherman comes by. You're praying, and believe me, let me tell you something. We never panicked. We knew God. Now, I'll honestly tell you, I was not dumb because I knew if God did not send a boat or send someone to save us, that I was going to see Jesus that morning. I knew it. So we prayed all that time. We sang songs. I used to love Amy Grant. We talked about our families. We talked to God. We quoted scripture, and we kept saying, Lord, please help us. Send somebody. So now it's after midnight. I can just see the North Star dimly. 
because it's still laying a blanket across on the skies. And so all of a sudden, we're there, and, you know, all of us are cold. And I've been watching, and I was kind of also, you know, I'd gone into the second stage of hypothermia. And all of a sudden, Sally on the left-hand side, she was a beautiful young lady. Um, she had blonde hair, and I noticed she wasn't kicking anymore. And I must have dozed a little bit off. And all of a sudden, Sally let go of the canoe, and she went into the darkness. I yelled, Mark, get her. Get her, Mark, Mark, get her. I went over to the other side of the canoe. And Mark tried to swim over there to see where she was at, but she was long gone. We yelled, Sally, Sally, come back, Sally. And we were all yelling, and um, we couldn't hear her. So he came back to the canoe because that's the only thing we had that could put us right here. And so now we don't know where Sally's at. We called and called and called, but we didn't hear, okay? So Sally now is gone from the canoe. About an hour, maybe two I can't honestly tell you. All I can tell you is what happened. All of a sudden, Dwight started speaking, just like I was talking about Paul, like he was on Myrtle Beach, and I knew we were in trouble. I said to Mark, Mark, we got to get him in the canoe. Now the storm is not as bad. We just have little flapping, I'd say a foot and a half, two foot waves. It's not very, very much. And so we got Dwight in there. He's about 180 pounds. We put him in, and in the middle of the canoe, they had a little... We had one uh, step up here for the kids, one in the back, and then we could sit a third one here. So we had like a little, um, oh, just a little, um, what I want to say, a plank through there. So we put Mark, I mean, we sat, Mark and I put Dwight there, okay? And we steadied the canoe on either side. <sighs> a few minutes passed, and all of a sudden, I believe to this day that Dwight thought he was somewhere in, a, in the ocean, and he just dove off to the side and swam away from us. He was a good swimmer. Again, I yelled, Mark, get him, because he's on the left-hand side. Mark turned around. We heard the splashing, splashing, splashing. Mark said, came back and said, Cheryl, I can't find him. And then we heard you know, the distant splashing. It started to get you know, where the sound was lower and lower. And then all of a sudden, we didn't hear him. So now Sally and Mark is gone. Okay. Uh, uh, Sally and Dwight. So Mark and I are praying, and we're like, Lord, please send a fisherman out. We don't know what happened to him. I'll be honest with you, I never gave up hope that night that they did not find somebody, okay? And so now we're into the wee hours of the night, okay? And so now I want to just tell you this. How many of you have praying parents? How many of you have praying parents, okay? How many of you have children? How many of you still worry about those adult children? How many of you probably pray more for your adult children than you did when they were underneath your roof? Okay. I had, I was very blessed. Um, my mom actually got saved when I was uh, about 11. And she, they would send us to church, but, you know, they didn't go. Um, they were very moral people. She got saved at a Billy Graham crusade. And then I asked her, I said, Mom, I'm going to get baptized. And I said, will you come and watch me be baptized? And so they did, okay? And we got there, and lo and behold, she said, well, you know what? I need to be baptized with you. The Lord convicted her, so my mom and I were baptized together. After that, she did a 180. My mother did. She was a good woman, but, man, she could pray. How many of you got some praying grandmas, and, and, and I'm not saying men can pray, too. I don't mean that bad. 
Well, I want to explain something to you. The night is gone through, so follow this. Dwight's gone. Sally's gone. It's just Mark and I. Okay? It's just Mark and I. I notice now that I'm starting not to be as cold. Where do you think I'm heading toward? Probably the third stage, right? I looked over at Mark, and I'll be honest with you, I fell asleep that night. Now the water is calm, and we're drifting right toward Cockburn Island. It's probably a good four miles away. It's calm. How many you ever been uh, water skiing when it was just like glass? That was how it was on Lake Huron, okay? And so here's what happened. I was there, and I remember just the rocking, and all of a sudden, Mark just kicked. I mean, he kicked like a horse kick. He, when he kicked, that canoe went up into my head, and you can see a scar here. And I remember reaching up and waking up, and I had blood on my hands. And I remember thinking, oh, my Lord. And then I looked over at that time, and I saw my friend Mark with his head in the water with his ears there. And I thought, oh, Lord Jesus. And so here's what I did. I got him. Mark was, Mark was just a wonderful guy. He was a, a soccer player. He was going on to college the next year. He was only 18. And I don't know how he did it. It was the Lord. He was about 190 pounds of muscle. I pulled him into that canoe. I leaned over that canoe, and I started rubbing his arms and legs. I got close to his, to his head, and I was like, Mark, you've got to stay with me. We're, I can see. I mean, the, it's the dawn. I can see. How many of you ever been outside when you can just see on the horizon the sun starting to come up? You ever been there? I could see that on Cockburn Island. And I said, Mark, Mark, stay with me. And I got, just like I was talking about Paul, I got close to him. I rubbed his arms and legs. And when I got close to him, you all, I realized that my, see this little white paper here? And just like your white pretty blouse there in the second row, my fingernails were as white as that. And I thought, Cheryl, you got to get your booty in this, this canoe. Because at least if I got in the canoe, I could put Mark right here into my elbow. I could talk to him, rub his arms and legs. And instead of me being in the water up to here, I could be in the water up to here. Because you lose 70% of your body heat through your head. Now, remember now, it's about 4.30, 5 o'clock in the morning. Now, where's my praying parents? Okay, you ready for this? You know that mama I was talking to you about? I have three older sisters. My middle sister is a lady named Carolyn. And Carolyn had gotten into some really bad stuff. In fact, mom thought she was doing drugs and really partying really hard. And God, she had to go to the bathroom about 4.30 that morning. She told me this about six weeks later. She had to go to the bathroom. She got up, and the Lord impressed on her and said, you need to pray for your daughter right now. Your daughter's in danger. You need to pray for your daughter, Edna. You need to pray for your daughter. She got down in her lazy boy in the living room, and she started praying. She said, oh, Lord, don't take Carolyn tonight. Oh, Lord, don't take my Carolyn. I know she's in trouble. Oh, Lord, don't take my Carolyn. Let her live. Wherever she's at, let her live. Oh, Lord, don't take my Carolyn. She'll be a legacy for you one day. Little did she know until the next day when the United States Coast Guard and Eldon Brock called her that the one she was praying for 500 miles away was me, the youngest daughter. Now let me tell you something, parents. Don't you ever, 
think that when the Holy Spirit taps you on the shoulder, ladies and gentlemen, don't you ever think that that's not anything. If God tells you to pray, you pray that day. You pray that moment because you don't know you're interceding for that person. How many of you have ever felt that before? A nudge from the Holy Spirit. You get down on your knees because I promise you, we don't see these things. But there are angels that are on our behalf, and God sends them. And you, as a person that is a Christian, is crying out. So listen to me. Don't you ever give up. Listen to me right now. How many of you got unsaved people in your family? How many of you got unsaved spouses? How many of you got children that have really not been with the Lord? You listen to me. Don't you give up, young lady. That gentleman back there, don't you give up. Don't you dare give up because you know what? God sees that. And don't you let the devil take you in fear. I'm telling you right now, folks, I know there's a heaven. And I'm going to explain it in a minute. And I know there's a hell. And I know that someone called the evil one does not want our loved ones to be there. So don't you give up. I'm telling you, don't you give up. We prayed. My, my mother-in-law has gone on to be with the Lord. But we, she prayed for her husband for 50 years. And he walked through the church in Paducah, Kentucky, 82 years old. And as he walked, he was a back row Baptist. I don't mean that bad. But <laughs> he, he walked up there. People looked at him and went, oh, Jim Tinsley? I mean, they were in a gasp. People were crying because his wife taught Sunday school for 30-some years, was one of the biggest people. I had the best mother-in-law and, and father-in-law. They were beautiful people. And she was a praying lady. He walked through there and knelt here and, and cried. This is a World War II vet and said, Lord, I need you. And guess what? 16 months later, the Lord took him home. He was a different person. Do you know the statistics for someone being saved in their 80s? That's God. God is a, yeah, you better say amen. That's God. God is a God of what? Impossibilities. So don't you give up on that family member because I'm telling you what? You keep praying. You keep praying. And I guarantee you, I call them GMCs, God-made coincidence. They'll bring people your way, and they'll put those seeds in there for you. Okay, so let me go back. I'll start preaching here. Let me go back, all right? Okay? All right, we're in the water, okay? I have Mark right here, and I'm praying. I look, and like I was talking about Paul, I'm praying. I'm in the canoe. Sorry, I got to press. I'm in the canoe. Is that bad? Ready? All right, is that good? I won't show you nothing here. All right, I normally wear pants, but I thought I'd okay? I'm in the canoe. I have Mark right here, just like that. I am talking to him. I'm saying, don't, Mark, you got to stay with me. We're going to have to swim to Cockburn or maybe a fisherman would come. Please stay with me, and I'm praying. Now, it's the, as the sun's going to come up, it's about 5 o'clock. Remember that mom praying for 45 minutes? Okay. I look at Mark, and he's breathing shallower. And in fact, I look at his eyes like I was talking about Paul, and I notice they're totally dilated, and I know we're in trouble. A few minutes passed, and Mark Tobby, inside my elbow here, he stopped breathing right in my arms. I ended up, you know, you can't, like, when you're, in, when you're doing CPR, you have to have a solid surface. You, if I pushed him down, he would have went into the water. 
And so what happened is I gave him mouth-to-mouth about five or six times. He did breathe another one or two times, and then he died in my arms. Okay, I don't know where Sally or, or Dwight are at, but I want you to listen to me. Please don't leave this sanctuary without knowing that you absolutely know the Lord. Please do not leave this sanctuary. Even if you are unsure, make it sure. Don't put those masks up. I'm telling you, folks, when it's life and death, you ain't going to put no mask up. You are going to be on your knees. And that morning, early morning on July the 3rd, my friend just passed in my arms. I tried again mouth to mouth to no avail. But then you don't know me. I'm a teacher, and my kids say, you're very real, Mrs. Tinsley. You don't know me. I'm just as real as they come. I'm not one that's pie in the sky. I have a great sense of humor, but I want to tell you what happened next. I did not see anything that night on Lake Huron in 50-degree water, but I felt something. Now, my students always ask me, Ms. Tinsley, did you have to go to the bathroom at that time? Because <laughs> I'll be honest with you, when you pee, that's the most warm we ever had in there in Lake Huron. And I had peed everything out. I was like, I wish I had pee, but no, I, I, I peed everything. Because I've spoken to young people all over. I've spoken to thousands. My heart goes for the young people. But I need to tell you something, folks, and don't you doubt this for a minute. I can't stand still. I'm a teacher, so I hope you'll be all right with that. Don't you doubt this for a minute. I did not see anything that night. But I felt a warmth hit my chest. And I felt that ascend into heaven. And I remember just in that, like, saying, Lord Jesus, welcome Mark into your eternity. I knew my friend Mark Tobby had just went into the presence of the Lord. So a little time passed, I don't know, just a few minutes, and I had a decision to make. Now remember, I'm probably in stage three. I'm not, I'm going to head towards stage four, and I need to tell you something. <sighs> I don't know, the Holy Spirit's just impressing this on me, so I'm going to tell you. There are some in here that you've given up. There are some in here that don't believe for that miracle. There are some in here that don't think your life's going to get any better. You might think it, you know, you put that front up. But let me tell you something. Every day is a gift from God. Feel your lungs right now breathing. We all get so bogged down with this stuff that doesn't matter. And I remember on the lake that day, now I see the sun starting to come up and Cockburn Island is a pretty good distance, I remember saying, Lord, welcome Mark into your eternity. And Lord, help me, because I'm going to swim toward Lake Huron, because I'm not going to die in this boat. I'm going to swim, and if I don't make it, I'll see Mark very shortly. But I'm going to swim for my life, because Lord, I'm trusting in you. And I remember I got out of the boat, and I started swimming. Okay, do the next slide. I want you to read this for just a second. 
Ladies and gentlemen, that was on the front page of the Detroit Free Press a few days after I came home. The Detroit Free Press had well over a million circulation. Well, I should say a half a million, almost uh, three-fourths of a million. And that's what they did the article. If this would have happened today, it probably, I had, well, I should say I had phone calls from California, radio stations, TV stations. Um, but my students always say, Ms. Tinsley, this should be a, I Survive. <laughs> this should be a movie. But let me just say what happened that day. I started swimming. I remember I got the biggest cramp. Oh, Lord. Have you all ever got one of them big cramps? I turned around, and I was like, stroke, stroke. And I was like, oh, Jesus, help me. I'll eat a banana the rest of my life. Oh, Jesus, help me. I was trying to stretch this out. And uh, finally, it subsided. And I got to Cockburn Island that morning, okay? So when I got to Cockburn, now, you've got to realize something. If you're, doing the, if you're doing the math, how long have I, can, it's okay if I come down here. Okay, how long have I been in the water? We went out about 2 o'clock the day before in the afternoon. I swam there, and the sun came up about 5.46 that morning. All right, I'll, I know, maybe I got some math teachers in here. Yeah, almost 16 hours. What's the average life expectancy? Three to five hours, okay? When I got to shore, if you were a fisherman or on that shore, you would have swore I was drunker than a skunk because if you've been in the water like that, I was stumbling. I was falling. I had rocks. You know, this is a very rocky shore. And remember, where am I supposed to go now? Where did, what, what did we see that whole night? That lighthouse. When you think of a lighthouse, I think of an old man in there. I know that's stupid, but that's what I thought, okay? And so I started walking that way, and I fell, and I was cut up, um, and I got to the lighthouse. You know what that lighthouse was? This first whole row, it was an electrical box, and they turned it on on the other side of the island, and I thought, well, I'll get up on that electrical box, and I can flip it on, and maybe they'll wonder why the lights are on, because I don't know where Sally and, and uh, you know, Dwight are at. So I got there, <laughs> I flipped it up, I looked, and there was a switch, but underneath the cords, there was water. Now, water and electricity do not mix, okay? And all I could think of, remember I told you I have a wicked sense of humor, is girl makes 15 hours and gets fried but has a great perm at her funeral, all right? <laughs> so anyways, that's all I could think of. And so I got there, and remember there was nothing there. I went down the island more, and I thought I heard something, but actually what I heard, folks, was an airport. There's a reason that I have OnStar. Directions are not good for me, all right, in my car. So I thought I heard um, a, a, a highway, and I started up that way into this woods, okay? You just did this. I walked how long? Five and a what? Right. So now I've been going almost 24 hours, okay? And I came down. Now I'm going to see. I can still see this day, and I'll make this a little shorter. It's getting a little late. I came down off of that. I went up that hillside, came down. And believe me, this, you know, they had poisonous things on this island. I've often thought, how many angels guarded me through there? I could have busted an ankle or something. I came down smack dab out where your doors are at. I saw the canoe where Mark was at. I had done a 180, and here's what happened. I sat down. I was so tired. I'd even taken that orange life jacket off. And I said, Lord, you're going to have to help me. I don't know what to do. I looked around. I thought I heard something. It was just squirrels. I prayed again. I was just sitting there. I was just so exhausted. Lord, please send me help. 
And I swear to you folks, it wasn't 90 seconds. I heard the best sound. There was a yacht coming over there on that point side. Um, and he came around, and I'm raving that orange life jacket. Please help me. Uh, he comes around. He didn't hear me because he had a lot of engines. He shut the engines off when he saw the canoe, and then he heard me, and I was yelling for help. I said, I don't know where my other friends are at. Call the United States Coast Guard. We need some help, okay? And then, as God is my witness, and I'll, fin I'll finish with this, he says to me, I think, well, he's going to come up to shore, right? Well, the shore's rocky, right? He says to me, hey, lady, that shore is rocky. Can you swim out to me? Hey, I just bought this yacht about two months ago. I was, I was on the shore, and I was like, I'm looking around like, cut, 10 minutes, sandwiches, we'll come back to this movie. And I was like, I was looking around like, you cannot be serious. And I thought, okay. So I put that orange life jacket on. I swam out to him, grabbed this arm, he grabbed this one, and I was safe. They got me on the boat. They went around about two or three miles. They called the Canadian Mountie, uh, pol uh, Canadian Mountie Police because we we're in international waters. They called the U.S. Coast Guard. And then he did this for a few minutes. She gave me something to drink and, you know, gave me a bunch of blankets. And then I saw two dots over there with orange life jackets. And then I knew I was the only one that survived. And that's when I started crying. Well, you'll have to read the rest of the book to see the rest, but I'll tell you just another thing, okay, because I can't tell you everything. But I do want to tell you this. My mother knew that God had answered her prayers. The United States Coast Guard made a mistake, and they weren't sure that it was Cheryl Steele with an E or if it was Sally Coon. My dad about passed out when he got the call. My mother grabbed it and said, her last name is Steele with three E's. You let me know where I need to meet her. That's what you call faith. That's what you call faith. They flew me through Alpine, Alpina, Michigan, because remember I was in Canada, the Canadian, um, I was in, I should say, Ontario. I got to uh, the hospital in Traverse City, and I want to tell you this story before I end. The hospital in Traverse City, I had liver damage where I had gone over the canoe. And so I want to explain this to you, and I want you to understand something. My story is unique. But all of us have stories. All of us have that moment. And we can reach people that some people can't reach. So remember that. Whatever your story is, I love the song you sang. God doesn't care about your past. He only cares about you today and your future. Okay? So my mom was there. They picked me up. My family picked me up. And I had to go to Munson overnight. Now, number one, they were afraid I was going to go into shock. And number two, ladies, how many of you have ever had those beautiful hot maternity blankets on you? Really nice when you deliver. I had 21 on me. I was shaking so much with the hypothermia. So I get to Munson, and you got to remember, I was, quite, I was only 20. My mother's about right, I'd say right about where you're at, Justin, okay? We go into Munson Hospital. Anybody ever been there in Traverse City? I don't know if you've ever been there. It's a nice hospital. And I wasn't married, so all of a sudden, the most drop-dead gorgeous, I mean, this dude was gorgeous. Physician comes in, and he has this wavy hair. I can remember this today, and I was like, woo, I'm alive, I'm alive, right? And he's like there, and I'm on the gurney, and I'm like, woo, man, Lord did good with you, brother, right, right? And I'm looking at him, and he comes up. Now, remember, I was 20. I'm married 35 years or so. But I was like, man, 
this guy's gorgeous. Now, girls, you know, we've seen those before, right? But I mean, this guy was like slow motion gorgeous, all right? But he's the, he's the emergency room doctor, okay? Now, here's what he says. He looks at my chart. My mom's over there where Justin's at. And he starts just waving those locks. And I thought, woo, you're nice looking, all right? And he goes up and down that gurney. And then he says this. He says, what the? And you put in the words. What the? Oh, oh, my. You put in the words. What the? He goes, oh. He goes, young lady, do you know you should have died two, year, two days ago? Do you know you should not be on this gurney? Do you know, young lady, you should have died two, years, two, two days ago? And do you know something else? They're going to look at your name in the, in the scientific books. It's going to say Cheryl Steele, and there's going to be five question marks behind it. Because I know you should not physically, scientifically be breathing and right here on the gurney. Now, wait a minute. Where's mom? All right, where's the mama bears in here? It ain't a good thing for Doc if she gets up. She'll lay him out. You know, she's going to spank him. I don't think she would have hit him, but he would have felt this big when he went out. All right, okay? And I remember looking at him. Now, you got to remember something. That's the most traumatic thing I've ever been in my life. And here's a doctor that's supposed to have it together, and he's over here telling me. And it takes a lot for me to cry. It doesn't now. But <laughs> and this tears started rolling down. Well, then mom gets up. And I thought, mm, you're in trouble, doc, all right? And I remember looking at him and thinking, first of all, I thought, jeez, he's gorgeous, Lord, but that elevator does not go to the top. He is a nut job. And I'm thinking, Lord, he's gorgeous. I'm sorry you wasted on him, Lord. This man ain't right, all right? Okay. And so he, mom starts to come up. Well, he looks at me, and he sees the tears. And finally he realizes, and ladies and gentlemen, listen to what I'm going to say. I was only 20. He looked at me with those beautiful blue eyes, I might add. He looked at me, and he said, Cheryl, and he patted my arm, and he said, I'm so sorry. Young lady, I'm so sorry I've upset you. Well, then mom just kind of eased, and he says, but you don't understand it. He said, you don't understand it. He said, honey, you're a miracle baby. You should not be breathing. And I, before that, I had said to him, right before he said that to me, I said, Doc, I'm sure glad you're not in charge because he's kind of making me upset. And the nurses laughed, and then he apologized. And then he looked at me, and ladies and gentlemen, remember this, because your words matter and your actions matter. He looked at a 20-year-old there that was suffering from hypothermia, the most traumatic thing I've ever had in my life. And he says, you don't get it. You're so young. He says, you don't get it. Somebody upstairs likes you. And I said, yes, sir. I said, I believe in God, and I know one day when I pass over, I'll see my friends. And he looked at me, and he said, another thing you don't understand. He says, Cheryl, I'm an atheist, and you just rocked my world. Yes. Well, I said to him, I, had a, I, I asked him, I said, do you have a Bible? He said, yeah, it's awful dusty. I said, would you go home, Doc, and, and dust it off for me and read the Gospel of John? And I said, then you'll know the hope why this young lady knows life does not end here. And so I can't tell you the rest of the story, so I'll, I'll give a plug. The book's good, all right? <laughs> the Holy Spirit helped me write it. Um, it took me about nine months, uh, and it had been in my heart for two decades. But I need to tell you this. Go to the next one. How many of you have lost loved ones that you absolutely loved? 
if they knew God, you'll see them again. Do not think you won't. And I'm going to tell you about a God-made coincidence. I call them GMCs. You see, that morning, I need to tell you a couple GMCs. It was bright and sunny, 85 that morning. If it would have been like today and it started misting and raining, this lady named Cheryl would not be in front of you. I would have died. I needed an external source to warm me. But you know what? The external sun saved me that day, but I already knew Jesus, the Son of God, had already saved me before that. And I want to tell you something, and I want to impress you. It is always darkest before dawn. So some of you right now, and you can keep rolling through this as I talk. I'll show you my friends, and this was their life verse. You can keep rolling. Some of you right now, this was Dwight. He was a teacher in Jackson. You might have been some, some trauma in your life. Everybody's been through trauma. I think I've got from about 20 different states since I wrote this book, people I don't even know, people that aren't Christians, that are saying, you know what, you touched me. My, my daughter went home to be with the Lord, or my son was in an accident, or my husband, and uh, pray for them. I don't know if they know Christ. But this was Galatians, and you know the verse there. But I just love, if you look at Dwight right there, you want to read that for me because I'm a teacher? The greatest, what does it say? The greatest use of this life is to use it for something that will outlast us. And that's Dwight. The next one was my friend Sally. Believe it or not, her dad is 90 years old. I did not write this book without talking to parents. There is no way that I would have done any more, um, you know, any more harm to any of them. guy named Jim Kuhn, 91, which is Sally's dad, just published a book called What's the Purpose? It's on Barnes & Noble. Now you think, 91. You see, your work's not done until God calls you on that last breath. It's not pastor's job to bring them all in here. It's our job. It's your job to tell your, your community about that. And so if you read that, first time I met Sally's parents, and by the way, um, you can imagine having to meet the parents of people, your friends, and they wanted to know the last few minutes of their child's life. It was the hardest thing I ever did, and that was before I had kids, so I can't imagine now. And I told them, Sally's parents, you can read his book. I promise you, you'll be amazed. God literally in his heart spoke to him and said, Jim, get out of the way. You don't know what the purpose is, but if you won't mess it up, I'll show you how I use this for God. And it's just amazing. So that's Sally right there. Now, what does it say? I read this in her Bible at their house in Gaylord. Will you read? I'm a teacher. Will you read that for me, please? Does your life compel someone to fill the void if ever I'm gone? And that was Sally's. And Sally was ready to be with the Lord. Okay. And then the next one, so was Dwight. This is Mark. Mark is... Verse I love in Colossians to always work as you're working toward the Lord and not toward people. And will you read his pretty loud? I love this. Read it. They have that on Mark's tombstone. This is not the end, but the end of the very beginning. So I need to tell you something, and I want to tell you this. Go on to the next one. My story is obviously not a fun one. It's tragic. But if we stop there in the world's eyes, it's very tragic. Correct? So if you've been through a lot of trauma, 
you are going to have to decide, does God really mean what he says? And I want to tell you this. People ask this to me, and I'll, I'll just tell you. I had nightmares. Oh, my Lord. For the first six weeks that I was home, I did not want to go to sleep. I would wake up, and I would, my mom and dad put me right next to them. I could barely walk. I'd broken down muscle. The bathroom was right there. I'd wake up, and I'd be reaching to grab them because I was thinking, I come back, you know, come back. I'd reach, and I'd be in that dream, and I would wake up just crying, and I would just wake up, and I was fearful to go to sleep. And I remember after about six weeks, my parents got a, I ended up with a Christian psychologist, had a wonderful pastor, and my parents would stand outside my room, and the psychologist said, don't wake her up, you pray. And they would pray outside my room as I was going through this. I remember this to this day. Thursday at 5 to 2 in the morning, I remember waking up, tears, the sweat in my bed, and I want to tell you what I did. Some of you might be at your place right now. I looked up into that room. I looked into that ceiling, and I said, God, I can't live like this. Lord, I cannot live like this. If every time I put my eyes aside, I close them. I am so fearful. I can't live like this. And I looked up at the ceiling and I said in all meaning, I said, God, I believe you're the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I believe the Bible. I know you're a God of impossibilities, but why didn't you take me at Lake Huron? Why do I have this survivor's guilt? I can't live like this God. And I looked up and I said, Lord Jesus, I said, I know you're the God of impossibilities. I ask that you take these dreams away from me right now, and I will praise you and give you praise the rest of my life because I know, God, you're a God of impossibilities. Now, I was at the wit's end. I, I don't believe I would ever hurt myself, but who knows? I mean, I know. I counsel kids. Suicide is real, y'all. They come to the bottom of no hope. Maybe you're there. And I'm going to tell you, as God is my witness, this has been almost about 40 years ago, I remember I did not see anything, but I felt the Holy Spirit in that room. And I felt like he just covered me up with his love. And to this day, ladies and gentlemen, I have never had a nightmare. Do we not have a God of a God of possibilities? Absolutely. Absolutely. And so I want to tell you, you can read these up here. Um, I just want to tell you this. I believe you're a congregation that's on fire. I sat over here where Pastor Baker was at, and I believe that God is lifting up a great revival. You got to believe it. And you know what? In my mind, as I was praying and Miss Priscilla was singing, I could see this congregation full. I could see people's lives being changed because there's people here that have a heart for God. But remember, folks, our mission's not here, it's outside. So next week, I'm going to challenge you. Bring somebody with you. Call a couple people this week and say, hey, go back and listen to this girl. She's a nut job. But what she has, I'm just kidding. I was nuts before that happened. <laughs> but listen to this girl because I'm going to tell you something. Do you not think that you could not make it back here next week? We know not the time or place. In James, it says life is but a vapor. So you know what? We always say this and that. Listen, folks, that week I thought four of us would come back, but only one did. I was not able to go to the funerals, but
but in my mind, I buried three friends that day, that, that week, okay? So life can change on a dime. How many of you know that? Yes. And you know what? The best thing I can tell you is through storms and traumas, and I can sense that some of you are in that, you've got to hold on. Go to this next one, and I'll finish with this. How many of you believe Jeremiah 29, 11? You know what? I believe Romans 8, 28. I believe the Bible. I believe Jeremiah 29, 11. I know this is, he has a plan for a good future. I need to tell you something. When I was 20 years old, I would have never dreamed a few decades later, I'm not that old, but a few that decades, that I'd be standing in front of congregations. But you know what? God uses people that will just be willing. And you know what else? Go to this next one, and I'm going to stop with this. Everybody read that. Step out of the boat. So I'm going to leave this right here. I know it's 12.06, and you've been so nice to listen. Will you close your eyes for a minute? I'm going to talk to you right now, and I'm just going to let the Spirit just kind of talk to you. But are there things in your life that you're still holding on to? Are you angry? Are you upset? You were probably wrongfully abused or neglected or someone, even a church person, hurt you. I'm going to ask you right now to think right now. Is that something in the light of eternity that you want to have right now that takes your energy? Can you give that to God? Maybe some of you have lost loved ones. Maybe some of you don't understand why God does what he does. But I'm going to ask you something. Can you get out of your pain right now? Can you hear God say, get up out of that boat Get out of that canoe and swim. Your life does not stop. Give it to me. Quit taking it back. But get up off of that canoe. If you don't mind, I'd like to pray for you. No one looking around. Can you raise your hand if you're dealing with some stuff right now? That Yeah, I need some prayer. I need some prayer, seriously. I see all those hands. Oh, Lord, I need prayer. I've been holding on to this or I have pain. People have hurt me. Oh, Jesus, I need help. Thank you. You can put them down. Let me pray for you, and I'm not sure if pastor wants to, to have an altar service, but if you want to come up, I would love to pray for you, other people, and just be honest with God. So let me pray for you, and maybe we can have someone that would end us with a song here. Oh, Lord, thank you today. I felt your presence in here. Thank you, Lord, for this beautiful congregation. I can feel that there's hearts here that are still broken, Lord. And I pray you'd give them the courage, Jesus, to be so honest with you right now. I pray, Lord, that they would lay that at the altar and give that hurt or that trauma or that even unbelief to you, God. I pray right now, Holy Spirit, that you would deal with in our hearts, because only you know everything. And Father, I pray that you would help us to just see you in every situation, 
because just like we talked about, life is such a flavor, but you have such plans for us. And Father God, I pray you'd bless every heart here. I pray for our students, God. I pray you'd make them a light in their schools. I pray protection over our schools. I pray protection over this congregation, Lord. May there be a great revival that comes into Spirit of Life and into Louisville because we've surrendered all. And Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for the gift of life. And I pray, Lord, that you would just touch our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Go ahead. Let her know you appreciate the message today. Amen. Go ahead and stand with me if you will. We're going to dismiss in just a moment. But just let me say to you that I know because I'm your pastor that there are some of you that are facing life-changing circumstances. For some of you, it's an Ill illness. It's a, for some of you, it's a job. For some of you, it's a relationship. I could go through the whole litany of things that could be affecting us. But for some of you, it's very real right now. You're dealing with it every day of your life. Let me tell you, if God can save a young lady and spare her, and give her an opportunity to be useful in the kingdom of God and effective. He can do the same for you. What I have discovered, even in my own life, is that when you go through things and you ask God to help you, it seems like that we always want God to put everything back the way that it was. In our minds, when we pray, that's what we want. We want God to put it back the way that it was. But we have to be prepared to say, God, if my life never returns to the way that it was, then I must believe that my future will be greater than my past and my latter days more effective than my former. So as we pray today, I want you, if you can, and if you're willing to pray that prayer and say, Lord, I absolutely, without a doubt, trust you with my future. Even though I may not see it, even though I don't have it in my vision, I will not fear I will not fret because I know my life is in your hands. And so I'm going to pray with you that prayer, and, and I want you where you are to just pray that prayer to the Lord. Lord, I know I'm going through difficulty. I know I'm going through a life-changing experience, but that's okay because I know that I won't walk that pathway without you next to me, guiding me and directing me. But when we finish this prayer, we have other things planned. I want to give Cheryl an opportunity to get back to the back so she can greet you. I know that 
you parents need to get your children so that you can take them to where they're distributing the popsicles. We got a lot of fleshly things that we're still wanting to do. But in this moment, let's do something very spiritual and say, Lord, I trust you with my future. Can we do that? Father, what a powerful, powerful testimony that we've heard today. Boy, what a, what a joy it is to just know that you indeed do walk with us through all of life's journeys. It's so good to know that Psalm 91, what it says is true, that you command your angels to watch over us. So, Lord, we know that right now our life is in your hands. And, Lord, there are some that are in this house today that they are going through a very difficult and traumatic situation. And they don't really know yet in their mind what the future is going to look like. But I pray, Lord, that in this moment that they will put all of their trust in you. And if their life never looks the same, if it never looks like it used to look, that they will be willing to say that if my future is in your hands, then I know that my future will be better and more useful and I'll be more effective in my future than I've ever been in my life because of your hand upon me. And so now, Lord, we just say publicly that we trust you and we thank you for what you're doing and for you, what you will do. Your word says that you will always finish what you've started in us. And we believe that is true. And we put our faith in you because of that. In Jesus' name, we ask it and we give you praise. Amen and amen. It's